Weirdo Bookworms Unite! We want to share our love of genre fiction with you. Fans of horror, sci-fi, fantasy, and more can stop by as we chat about what we've been reading. Hello, genre junkies. This is your host, Sandra. And I'm Scott. Welcome back for another exciting installment of our podcast where we talk to you about books that are of the horror, fantasy, or sci-fi persuasion. And this week we have science fiction. Science fiction. Scott's favorite. All right. Tonight's episode is the novel Artemis by Andy Weir. A lot of you might know Andy Weir from his absolute runaway hit, The Martian, which was also made into a movie. Which is a wonderful book. I, I really enjoy that book. I haven't read it, so this is my first foray into Andy Weir. I'm interested how that might color your opinion of this book, really. Yeah, because, I mean, I knew that people love The Martian. Um, since it's not totally my wheelhouse, I just never got around to it. But I know Scott loved it. Like, he loved this book when it came out. So I was like, well, perfect. I'll just jump on board with Artemis. So let me tell you a little bit about Artemis. Artemis is a near-future sci-fi novel set in a city on the now-human-colonized moon. Our title, Artemis, is the city's name. Our narrator is Jazz Bashara. Jazz is a ne'er-do-well junior criminal who wants to be rich. She gets the opportunity to pull off the perfect heist. Will her gamble pay off, or is she in over her head? So, as you can tell, I guess this is a thing with Andy Weir, where his books are very based in science kind of fact. Yeah, it's it's if you take the clock and you go forward about 100 or 150 years in specifically the case of uh, space exploration. Yeah, and um, just reading his about the author, he sounds like a really, really fun dude, somebody who'd be really cool to hang out with, who's also super smart and really funny. So let's just kind of get right into this with our experience score. Uh, did you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I, I would love it if you went first. Why, thank you. Ladies first. All right. For me, this was a good read. This okay. was a good read. Um, It's not my norm. Even though I do like science fiction, it, it's not my norm. But I genuinely enjoyed reading it. I can say with certainty, <laughs> if Jazz Bashara had not been our protagonist, I would not have enjoyed this book as well. Uh, that's actually fascinating, that last statement that you just made. Yeah. Um, I actually had a lot of trouble quantifying this book into our scoring system. It, it, yeah, no, it's, um, it's difficult. It's difficult for this book. But I, I think for me, it might have been the opposite as you. Oh, go on. So the the world and the science and the story was excellent and, and really page turner quality stuff. And, for you. And when that was the yeah. focus, I was very much into it. Cool. Um, jazz oh, and no. the other characters. Oh, no. I was rolling my eyes <gasps> and audibly groaning at multiple points in this book where I, I really, I literally put the book down and stopped reading it. I'm going to call this a book for me. There wow. were parts that were really page turner, but there was a lot of it that was really a struggle for me. Oh my gosh. If I had shoes on my feet right now, I would take them off and throw my shoes at you. This is why I was so excited to talk about this book with you because I knew <laughs> I, I had a feeling we wouldn't agree on this. See, and the characters of this book, I loved. Jazz is my girl. She is totally the type of heroine that I love. Let's talk about Jazz a little bit. We'll talk about the characters because this is all clearly tied into our experience score 
even more so than kind of usual for us. Very, very much so. Yeah, I agree. Wow. Okay. So Jazz is so smart. She is so, so smart. She's actually a genius and she doesn't know it. There's times where she'll kind of rattle off some sort of huge mathematical equation and be like, it's easy. You can do it in your head. And other characters are like, no, Jazz, no. (laughs) Well, there's some things about that that bother me, though, because it's a little bit different because you haven't read The Martian. But So I'm going to make a lot of comparisons that you might not understand. That's okay, because I'm sure a lot of people listening have read The Martian, so they'll appreciate that. Let me just finish talking about Jazz a little bit more, though, to kind of flesh her out for everybody. So Jazz, she's been living on Artemis practically all her life. Her family is from Saudi Arabia. So that's really cool representation, I thought. Actually, on that note, let me just take a quick little shortcut from Jazz for a minute. I loved the diversity in this book. Artemis is really this tourism city that's uh, supported by and made possible from all these different ethnicities from Earth. All these different countries send people up or people want to go up to work there. And I thought that was really cool because it's not just everybody's white and an American. It's really diverse. And not to mention, there's also disability and gay rep as well. So I I thought that was really awesome. Anyway, Jazz is really flawed. She is flawed as hell, but she's sarcastic. She's funny. She's incredibly hardworking, really independent. Like I said, flawed. (laughs) And so funny. So, so, so funny. I want to hang out with this girl and talk about stuff and she can drink beer and I'll have some wine and it's going to be rad. I loved her. I loved her. Well, I agree that she is very funny. There's a lot of very funny things about his writing style, but most of her jokes ended up going a very sexual direction. What she even says, like, Artemis culture is a little different than Earth culture. I understand that, but you still have a male author writing a female perspective and being very adolescent horny about it? No. Oh, no. I totally disagree. I think she was just being from Artemis. She's just comfortable with her sexuality, I feel. Uh, Like, it's... It's like us Earthlings, you know, as Drax says in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, we have so many hangups. <laughs> they don't seem to have that in, in Artemis because they're such a melting pot, I guess. Well, I'm okay with her being sexually comfortable with herself, but she is shamed by other characters throughout the book. She is, but and so just, there's, there's a yeah. weird there's a weird unbalance between that. Well, okay. You know what? I feel like I could get really angry and... um really start defending jazz in a third third wave feminism sort of way right now. I think you and I are just going to have to agree to disagree on the sexuality part because I liked and embraced that part of her and thought it was rad. So you felt comfortable as a woman with the way that she regarded sex and the way that she talked about sex. Absolutely. And there's this huge running joke that I don't want to spoil for anybody that's very much about her quote unquote promiscuity, which actually... It is greatly exaggerated by the people of Artemis. I thought it was so funny. And the way she handled it was always hilarious to me. Well, if you feel that way, then I I will have to step back from my personal opinion on it. I still felt uncomfortable by it was my experience. But maybe maybe that was the disadvantage of us not talking about the book before right now. Well, yeah, and that's part of the fun. And no, I mean, you can absolutely have your opinion. I'm just saying that as a female... I thought she was cool. I thought everything about her was just super cool. 
So here's something that I also thought was really cool about this book. So clearly for me, why I fell, you know, a little bit in love with this book was the characters. Whereas for you, it was clearly more the kind of nuts and bolts of the book. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So it's what I like about his writing the most is he takes fairly complex science and makes it very simple to understand. Oh, yes. And and puts it into real world context. Oh, my God. I appreciated that so much because I am not a super sciencey person. So every time, you know, they put things in super layman's terms for you and made it like idiot proof for people like myself, I I was very appreciative. A character in this book, I thought as a character, is actually the setting itself, the city of Artemis. That's an interesting take. I didn't really feel that way about Artemis. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Artemis, and maybe you'll see where I'm coming from. So, as I said, Artemis is the first colonized city on the moon. This is not a spoiler. And it's made up of all these different people from all over Earth. And there's a class system to it. There's people at the very bottom, and there's people at the tippy top. There's factories where they're making things that are like stuff that's like byproducts of being on the moon and and being in the unique position where they are there's casino resorts um there's like a red light district there's just kind of everything really geared towards the tourism side of it like if you're rich you go there a lot if you're a rich earthling uh if you're poor it's kind of like you go there like once in a lifetime and you can do a walk on the moon and it's got this small town feel for the locals like because how your body would adapt to living on the moon and living on earth it's not like you really go back and forth a lot unless you're just like a frequent visitor They have a law enforcement, kind of a sheriff of this small town. They do have a ruler, but it's really high tech, yet it's like this almost American Old West feel to it. It's kind of industrial revolution. Yeah, because they have all this super cool stuff. But at the same time, you know, if you're poor like jazz, you don't get to eat real food. You eat something called gunk, which is like an algae based food. So it's kind of like you would... I don't know. I can't quite describe it. That's the best way I can think of it. It's like this old West, you know, American old West meets high tech sci-fi. And it made a really interesting dynamic because people like Jazz, she knows every inch of Artemis inside and out. She really is a, she's an Artemisian. Yes, that's what they call themselves. Yeah, she came when she was seven, but she she is through and through an Artemisian. That is her. That's her, it's her identity. And the way that she is so proud to be from there, and a lot of them are, but especially, you know, since she's our heroine, it makes it its own character, this city. I myself would not like to live on Artemis. I would not be an Artemisian. I'm pretty, pretty happy being an Earthling. I wouldn't even want to be a rich Artemisian myself. Oh? Well, yeah, I, I'm agreeing with you. I wouldn't want to live on Artemis. I wouldn't want to be a poor Artemisian, and I wouldn't want to be a rich Artemisian. <laughs> Scene. Yeah. I'd like to visit once for a couple of days and then never go back. Yeah. And just wait till when you guys read it, if you haven't yet, you'll see kind of like their laws and the way they do things are, are a little bit different than how we do it here on Earth. So my opinion on the rest of the characters in the book is, and this is, again, my own personal opinion on this. <laughs> Noted. But I feel like most of the characters were really just all versions of the same character. They're all Mark Watney. They're all sarcastic and snide, and they know exactly the right thing to do at the right time. And 
I really appreciate that there are gay characters, there are characters from all different nationalities, but at the end of the day, there's not enough in the book to really differentiate them and celebrate their differences. Oh my gosh. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I disagree with that. If he didn't say that this person was Saudi Arabian or this person was gay, I, it wouldn't really matter. Okay, I totally disagree because her father who is a character in the book, is totally different than the character of Dale in the book, or Zavoboda. <laughs> They're totally different. They're all totally different characters. It only really goes halfway, though, because even her father ends up having some of the same snide, sarcastic, juvenile remarks that everyone else has. Oh my gosh. I, I'm like, I'm a little flabbergasted. I totally disagree. I, I loved the characters in this book and I thought they were totally unique. Bob the Marine, Dale, um, Kelvin. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I can't agree with you on that, Scott. I just cannot. Well, this, this is going to be a genre junkies first where we really just can't come together on this yes, subject. Yes, we're, we're very far apart on this issue. You guys are going to have to read it for yourselves and then get back to us and, and tell us what you think. And I do appreciate that every character in the book is funny, <laughs> but I definitely think that they're all very unique and separate individuals. That's kind of my, my final say on that. Oh, you know what else sucks? You can't have pets there. Nope, no pets. That's lame. So writing style, we've kind of let you in on this a little bit. The way that I would describe the writing style is textbook, but funny. Like, it's definitely this real science, emphasis on the science fiction, where it feels like a textbook, a friendly textbook, but then it's just doused in hilarity. I laughed out loud several times in this book, and I had a little chortle, had a little chuckle here and there, but I was surprised at how funny it was. And since I hadn't read The Martian, I remember at one point I turned to Scott when I was reading and said, you didn't tell me he was this damn funny. That's, I think, why The Martian ultimately was so successful, is really Mark Watney, the character in The Martian, is very funny and very irreverent. Well, yeah, and that's what makes um, people fun and relatable, right? There's also um, a little bit of a different approach in some, ooh, I don't know, some of the chapters, I don't know if it's quite half, where we follow this email correspondence that Jazz has been having with a boy in Earth. Um, I believe he lives in Kenya. He's in Africa. And his name is Kelvin. And they started being pen pals through school, I guess, when they were like nine years old. And we follow their email chain up to present day. He's kind of like her best friend, one of her best friends. And I really loved that. I really loved their emails. I thought they were cute when they were kids. They're funny when they're teenagers. And then we get right up to like present day, what's happening in our story, and they're corresponding. That really was one of the most interesting conceits that he had in the book was that email correspondence. It was the best way for him to explain in a first person told story. It was the best way for him to explain her past Throughout the entirety of the book, as opposed to all in one go at the beginning. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. And I was a little worried that these emails were going to wear out their welcome, but they really didn't for me. It ended up being um, one of my favorite parts about how he wrote this book. It was definitely the most inventive and the most different from what he did in The Martian. Yeah. So um, I wanted to kind of just put in here, it's kind of tied to writing style. I mentioned that there's a heist she wants to pull off. There is a really exciting kind of crime element to this book. 
which I could not predict where it was going, which I really liked. I couldn't see, oh, well, this is going to happen and this is going to happen because it's just a regular high story. No, no, it's totally its own, um, its own thing. And the way it unfurls and the way he wrote this, uh, plot about this criminal action taking place, I found really enjoyable. I found it was a pretty good um, pace to the action as well. Where this book differed from The Martian is that it's not just science fiction of the future. It's also economics. It's... Yeah. It's... Industry. Morality. A little political. Yeah. It's it's all of that. It's not just how to survive on Mars. It's... <laughs> or in this case, the moon. Right. It really is what the whole world would work like. What a... What, the, what a colony I, yeah. on the moon would look like. I totally agree with that because, I don't know, I've never spent a lot of time thinking about colonizing other planets or moons or anything. So I would have no idea where to start with any of this. And I appreciate that he really thought out, I mean, pretty much everything to what it would take to run a colony on the moon. That's a perfect way of putting it. And yeah, all these things of industry and economics and uh, tourism and all this. I'm like, oh my God, I, I never even thought of this. Wow, it's kind of brilliant. And that's where my page turner parts came from is all the parts of the story that revolve around the science and the history are really high paced and fascinating. And he clearly is a very good researcher. He's very good at finding people who know things that he doesn't know about. And he obviously knows a whole lot himself. And he's able to build a great story around that. Yeah, he's really unique. I, I don't know if there's a lot of people who are writing exactly his type of science fiction right now. Um, do you know of anybody? Maybe listeners at home. Do you know of anybody who's kind of writing like he is right now? I don't know. It's pretty cool. I mean, in a weird way, it's not really comparable, but it sort of reminds me of Ernest Cline, who wrote um, Ready Player One and Armada, uh, whereas he has his own kind of like little pocket in science fiction, and so does Andy Weir. And it's kind of cool that that's what this generation of writers is kind of putting out there is really their own kind of take on science fiction. He's the only one that I can think of who's writing like this right now. Someone who could be on and actually has been on Neil deGrasse Tyson's show and actually discuss the science that's in his book like it's real because it is real. That's the approachability factor to me, which I think is really sweet. Like I said, I, I kind of made fun of myself with it, but almost like the dumbed down like space for dummies sort of version. But I appreciated it because I can't always keep up with tech, 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 tech stuff. All right. So just like we were kind of saying that experience was a little difficult, the appeal score of this book was a little bit tricky for me as well. I kind of landed in between two of them. I did too, and I wanted to hear what you were at before I gave my score. Sure. Because I think you're a really good litmus test to what I am thinking. Oh, okay. For me, this fell somewhere between niche and general. Me too. Oh, okay, good. I mean, I'm very torn on this. As we've kind of um, said several times now, he makes the subject matter easy and enjoyable. For a general audience, he really does. I, I can tell he he like he wants people to be interested in the science. I get his passion. It bleeds through, which I think is so rad. But at the same time, if you don't like sci-fi, I don't think you should maybe go near his books. I think you're going to have a miserable time. I think if you're not interested in science, 
you would not be interested in his books. Sure, yeah. And where The Martian definitely sits somewhere on the broad category, I was very tempted to put this in the niche category, mainly because of the character writing. But if you enjoyed the characters and you enjoyed the story... Sure did. I, I am going to put it into the general appeal then. I think I think it's more than just diehard science fiction fans who will appreciate this book. Okay, that's that's good. We're kind of on the same page with this. If you haven't read this book, guys, you got to check it out. Let us know what you think. What do you think of Andy Weir? Please, we're dying to hear from you. Are, are we totally off base with this? Is this a book for everybody? What do you think? Are you a huge science fiction fan? And do you like his brand of science fiction? So with that, we're gonna take a little break and come back and talk about our spoiler section. So we'll see you after the break. Enjoying the show? Please like and subscribe on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Genre Junkies. And don't forget to visit the website, genrejunkies.com. Okay, welcome back everybody to the spoiler section. So instead of unraveling the whole plot for you, let's kind of just kind of pick and choose at some of our favorite and least favorite spoilerific parts of this book. So since I was super into the characterization of this book, something that I really thought was interesting was that it turns out Dale used to be her best friend who then fell in love with her live-in boyfriend, Tyler, who was like her serious love and who happened to be gay but was not out. And her kind of reaction and how those two changed in her mind because she felt heartbroken and betrayed, even though she knows it's not logical to be hurt in that situation, she's still human and she couldn't help but feel that way. And when she kind of like sacrifices herself and, you know, sends her final messages to everybody and to him and like, I forgive you, buddy. And, you know, all this stuff. I thought it was really cool how they're going to start kind of knitting their relationship back together. And even to the point where she'll start seeing Tyler again, because Dale mentioned several times that Tyler misses her. He's worried about her. These two people know that they hurt her and they still care about her. I thought that was really sweet. I just really liked that. I really liked the way that he built that story between the characters. It's a slow burn, too. It's like throughout the whole book. And it's a very interesting idea as far as how she lost her friendship with Dale, which they hint at at the very beginning of the book. It didn't ring super true to me the way that he just he basically blackmailed her into hanging out with him again. Well, see, but that's the thing is because he knows how headstrong she is and that she wouldn't just do it. And we all know that subconsciously she does want to spend time with him and probably with Tyler, too. I mean, yes, he she probably does. But I don't know. Something about it just rang as, oh, everyone wants to be friends with Jazz, even though maybe that friendship ended for a reason. <gasps> no, everybody should still want to be friends with Jazz because she's rad. She's the bomb.com. So I really liked that. I also liked that at the very end of the book, the last several pages, really, we kind of get this hint that her and Z I cannot say his name, Zavobo, the scientist, that they might be kind of heading into like a little bit of a romance territory. I thought that was really cute because they started out really far apart from that. And they 
built they were friends and then they had a deeper friendship and a trust and now it's kind of turning into something else i thought that was really cool because it didn't end with you know oh and now i have this great boyfriend dang isn't my life so complete now well i thought and wanted her to end up with her friend back on earth side oh kelvin i thought that that's where it was going and i was very excited for that and i was kind of sad that that's not what happened <laughs> well who knows maybe maybe her and zavobo won't work out and kelvin is trying to come up there to work so it, it could happen but i thought that her and kelvin's friendship was just really cute too i really liked that and as they get to be adults, you see how she's able to be such a successful smuggler. And it's with him helping down there. That was really kind of a nice little, um, I don't want to say a plot hole, but it was a kind of nice way to fill in the gaps of, well, yeah, this is how she's getting away with it. She has literally guys on the inside of both ends of this thing. Yeah, and it is it is cool that the person she has on the inside is someone that she's been a pen pals with since she was eight, nine? Yeah, it was like eight or nine. I thought that was really cool. Um, I do like the way that the heist and the... Okay, so first of all, the way the heist doesn't exactly wrap up cleanly. And then it turns into she is in over her head. She's involved in these like mafia crime cartel syndicate things. And she has to call on all her allies up on Artemis to help her fix this thing. And I thought it was really cool because they want to fix it with her to keep her alive because they really do care about her. But also because this is their city. And if they let these criminals kind of take hold of it, it's going to be ruined. And it says like, this is how, this is what happened to all the cities on Earth. And that's kind of the, the near future part of it is all the cities, major cities on Earth are corrupted and they don't want Artemis to be that way. The way that he built the economy and explained how economies worked in different civilizations and how it came up from, you know, a Wild West thing into more of a structured thing and eventually it will fall. I found that to be really interesting in the viewpoint that the head of Artemis had on all of this. Yeah. I actually liked her character more than any other. She was really well written. She too had a little bit of um, a hint of humor there. Uh, very kind of honest, but also sort of honest in a politician's sort of way. Uh, you know, it's kind of like, well, some things never change no matter what planet or moon you're on, I guess. She sees everyone as just moving pegs in a machine. Well, yeah, and she definitely doesn't has an, doesn't have an easy job. And I wouldn't say that her or any of these characters are, you know, kind of shades of gray characters or anything. I just think that everybody's flawed. That's kind of the way I looked at it. And I said it in the, you know, before the spoiler section is it's not that anybody's really strongly morally ambiguous. It's just that everybody's kind of people. They kind of have agendas. They kind of have faults. But a lot of people's flaws in the book end up being very superficial to me. Like uh, who? Well, Jazz's flaw is she doesn't listen to her father as much as she should. Well, yeah, and she has a tendency to... She's actually super sensitive, and she doesn't like to let that show. And she ends up kind of burning her bridges a little bit. But she makes, them, she makes it up again. And then the Dale's biggest flaw is that even though it's not so important that he's gay, his biggest flaw is that, well, he's gay. Well, is that they were going behind her back. I mean, really. Her best his friend and her boyfriend. Yeah, and really his biggest flaw is that Jazz isn't his friend anymore. Well, yeah, exactly. But I mean, 
he is kind of smarmy to her in the beginning and stuff. Like, he's obviously, before he lets his guard down and is like, I really miss you, he's kind of acting like, like a little holier than thou. And it's because he's hurt by her. And then finally, when he's like, okay, cards on the table, I miss the hell out of you. <laughs> what did you think of all of the, um, the spacewalking Eva stuff? That seemed pretty cool to me. I don't think I'd want to do it. It seemed interesting, but it also didn't seem as dangerous as I would have thought it would be. Yeah. As I think it is. Maybe it's not, or maybe it's just a failure in his writing of it, but I was never really scared, even as much as he described, oh, well, she's welding and, and molten drops of metal are falling from it and she's afraid it's going to pierce her suit. Even that didn't really fill me with a sort of dread. No, it didn't fill me with a sort of dread too. And I, I guess what I took from that is that it's almost like they've got this thing down to such routine because tourists come up there and they want to do these walks on the moon all the time that it's almost like scrubbed clean of any danger for anybody that's okay um i felt super bad for jazz and for everybody else that was um in the lower economic standing let's say she sleeps in what is literally referred to as a coffin because it is just a small bunk with a tiny table. She has to use communal bathrooms and showers. And again, as I talked about, eat gunk. She does get to kind of watch TV and movies on her little phone device, which I thought was really cool. They're gizmos. Oh, yeah. Can we talk about that? Oh, but so anyway, I just I felt super bad for everybody that was kind of like that. I'm like, my God, like what a depressing life. But gizmos are cool. Let's talk about gizmos. Yeah, okay. So that was another thing that really made me roll my eyes. They call his big idea of the future is that everyone has an iPhone. Well, and he he does kind of refer to them as their phones as well. well but I know. It, yeah, but it's kind of cool because it's it's your key. It's like your Apple Pay. It's your web browser. It's everything. Like but that's already here. That I mean, we're already we're already there at this point. We are already there, but we're getting to be at the point where it is in his near future story. Like right now, we still have metal house keys for us to get into our house. We do, but we don't have to. We don't have to. I still have a key that starts my car. I have, you know, an iPad. I'm not down to just one device that does everything for me. It just kind of irked me that there's so much of this that is not just quite near future. It is still... 150 years in the future sort of future. And that wasn't a very inventive way to explain the future to me. I thought it was really neat, though. I did. And I thought it was cool how kind of utilizing and manipulating the gizmos was actually a huge part of how she initially almost pulled off her heist. And then also for the big kind of criminal twist act at the end. Your gizmo is actually pretty darn important. You can be tracked down to exactly where you are with the thing, too. And in a small city like that, I mean, she tries to hide. She can't hide. I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Well, there's no hiding in, in such a small town. There was a little bit of a disconnect for me in the way that she described navigating around the navigating around Artemis and the actual size that it was described to be. It's kind of funny. She, I mean, she's a porter, right? So she's in like a golf cart, essentially, is how she gets around. I mean, the way that the city is described, I don't see why it would take more than five minutes to get from one side to the other, even if you go around the long way. I think it must be foot traffic. It it might be. Because remember, she said like the the kind of 
you know, channels that all of the poor people travel on is like you can barely get through two people, you know, passing by each other. Like it's almost impossible. I kind of think like for as awesome as Artemis as a city is, it sucks to be poor there. I mean, it's kind of cool that they all still love it, but I'm like, I don't know, man. Well, in any kind of town like that, there is going to be a working class and there is going to be a upper class. But I agree. It sucks. You, It's pretty skewed, though. Your apartment is literally a bed in the wall. Well, it's kind of nice because even though her dad isn't rich, we get the um, we get to see how she grew up, which um, was a little bit nicer. They had a little bit more breathing room in the apartment where her and her dad lived. And um, I was really happy that her and her dad made amends in the book as well. And she realized that no matter how imperfect she is, her dad loves her unconditionally. I thought that was really, really sweet. I don't know. I I guess I don't read a lot of father-daughter relationships in genre fiction. So I thought it was sweet. Well, what do you say? Should we give this thing a final score? I'm I'm ready to give it a final score. What are we rating it out of? I've got, you, hold on. I've got I've got one for you. How many aluminum rods out of five? Oh man. This is gonna be a little tricky. A little tricky, tricky, tricky. Um I'm gonna give this book three out of five aluminum rods. It was um it was passing, it was a passing grade for me. It was a fun time to be had, but am I gonna reread this book? No. But I am going to pass it on for others to read who I think would enjoy it and get something out of it. I'm also going to give it three out of five aluminum rods. I think the fact that you loved the exact opposite of what I loved. (laughs) That's pretty funny. Goes to show that there is something, there's probably something in there that most people will like, whether it be the characters or the science. But I don't think it does enough to marry the two together into a truly cohesive book. Right. It's not the most harmonious marriage of those two things. I am glad I read the book. I enjoyed my time reading it for the most part. I'm not going to read it again. I probably won't really think about it in a year from now. I'm not going to be comparing other stories to this. You think you're going to keep reading Andy Weir, though? Because I think I'd like to read his next um, effort whenever it is. I absolutely am, because I am very interested in the science part of his stories. If his next book ends up being filled with a whole bunch of Mark Watneys and Jazzes, I'm going to be very disappointed, and I'm probably going to hop on out. You say that now, but you won't. But I still have... I'm still optimistic that he has the ability to grow. This really is only his second book. Oh, yeah. And that's incredible what he's accomplished in two books. This is a bestseller. And when I looked earlier, I saw something I'd never seen before. This book was currently out of stock on Amazon. I haven't seen that in a very long time. Me neither. I was like, dang, good for you, Andy. I think part of that has to do with the success of The Martian, because that book really is incredible. It's outstanding. It's very well done. Well, perfect. I think we got it, guys. So hop on over, visit us on Instagram or wherever you want to find us, our website, Twitter, we're kind of on Twitter, and tell us what you thought of Artemis and of Andy Weir in general. Thank you for being my lovely co-host, Scott. And thank you for having me on again, I guess. (laughs) All right, everybody, please keep reading past your bedtimes. Mic test. Oh.
Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday, dear monster. Happy birthday to me.